In this episode, we're talking about demonstrating our faith in the face of suffering. Let's get into this. What's up? I'm your bro, Dr. Mario Escobedo, pastor and online Bible teacher. It wasn't all that long ago that I lacked the confidence, knowledge, and tools to feed my desire to dig deeper into God's Word. Fast forward past many lessons learned, mentors, and personal encounters with God, and you'll see the incredible privilege God has given me to teach the Bible to others. I'm convinced now more than ever that it's been God's Word that has led me to discover and fulfill the purpose God designed for me. I created the Christian Bro Code Podcast to help you on your journey to do the same. If you're a Christian bro who wants to grow as a disciple of Jesus so you can live, love, and lead in a way that honors God, you're in the right place. Let's get started, bro. Hey, what's up? It's your bro, Dr. Mario Escobedo. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Christian Bro Code Podcast. And as I say in every episode, the purpose of the Christian Bro Code Podcast is to help you grow as a disciple of Jesus so that you can advance the mission that Jesus started that has to do about living, loving, and leading in a way that honors God. And if that's something that interests you, if you're a Christian bro and you just want to grow as the disciple of Jesus and you're looking for different resources, I think this is one that can definitely help you. So consider subscribing to the podcast, liking it, sharing it, all that stuff so that you can continue to grow as a disciple of Jesus so that you can continue playing out your role, whatever role God has given you in the kingdom. As you grow as a disciple, you want to fulfill that role, your role, your unique, your specific role in advancing the kingdom of God and the mission that Jesus started. This is episode number eight of season three. And uh, in this season, we've been looking a lot at the gospel of Mark. Now, let me tell you why that is, in part why that is. Uh, First of all, I think obviously that if you're going to grow as a disciple of Jesus, of course, one of your primary sources about being a disciple should be the life of Jesus itself. And so obviously the Gospels reveal to us the life of Jesus, a lot about his disciples and how they learned, how they grew as disciples. So that just seemed like a very obvious place for us to go. But also, here recently in our church, I, I pastor a church in San Antonio, Texas, and since about, let me see, I guess uh, late May, maybe early June, We've been doing a series on the book of Mark, and so it just seemed uh, more efficient for me to uh, base episodes on sermons that I've been preaching in our church. So it just worked out really well. We're already doing this series, this sermon series in in our church, and plus Mark just gives us some great insights, some great teachings and principles on how to be a disciple of Jesus, how to grow as a disciple of Jesus. So that, that just made a whole lot of sense. And just in case you're wondering, again, this is season number three, episode number eight, and this is being published on August the 15th of 2020. And uh, it's it's a, an interesting time in our country, in the United States. It's, it's an interesting time. We've got a presidential election coming up. We've got the coronavirus stuff happening, uh, just all kinds of very interesting things. But uh, nonetheless, that doesn't deter us. That doesn't stop us from learning how to grow as disciples of Jesus. Hey, just as a total side note, and I don't even, this has nothing to do with anything, but yesterday my wife and I were power washing our driveway. We don't, we don't own our own power washer, but uh, my brother-in-law lent us his, and uh, man, my wife, she's just one of these ladies who, she doesn't care. I mean, she's, she's, 
I mean, she gets into it and she was out there power washing and I was, I was just watching her power wash. It was funny. Now I, I ended up doing most, most of it, of course, but she's not just one of these ladies who'll say, Hey, uh, we need a power washer. So go figure out and you do it. No, man, she went and she said, Hey, we're going to borrow your power washer. And she was out there just power washing. It was pretty exciting to see that, but it, total side note has nothing to do with anything, but, uh, you know, we're just finding things to do now during the coronavirus pandemic because I think people are getting bored and a little frustrated at home. But anyway, that, that was one of our adventures here recently. We also uh, took our daughters out last weekend to do some back-to-school shopping. That was different. I told my daughters, well, what, just buy new pajamas. I mean, you're going to be doing school from home virtually, so what do you need new clothes for? New clothes for? But that was a good time. We spent about two days just going to different stores. They enjoy doing that. And, you know, I just, I, I literally, I hold the bags and I pay the bills. That's my role. And that's cool. I'm, I'm cool with that. I've got two daughters and a wife. So that, that is my role. I can live with it. No biggie. Right. Hey, uh, just as a reminder over at the christianbroco.com, I do have a free resource, a free training for you on how to kickstart your own Bible study library. Go ahead and pick that up totally for free at thechristianbroco.com. And I've mentioned before, the reason I make this particular training available is because I believe that if you're going to grow as a disciple of Jesus, one of the things you need to be able to do for yourself is is to learn how to do your own Bible study, be a self-feeder. And I think part of that includes having, you know, it doesn't have to be massive. It doesn't have to be hundreds or thousands of volumes but you do need to have something of your own library of resources that you can consult, Bible study tools that you can use as you do Bible study. So check out that free resource that you can download over at thechristianbroco.com. That'll get you started on your very own Bible study library so that you can do your very own Bible study. All right, so today we've got a, a very well-known story that we're going to look at from the book of Mark, Mark chapter 5 starting in verse 21, and let me just give it away. This is this is the episode in Jesus' ministry when he heals the woman who has that issue of blood where she just, she's just she been bleeding for 12 years, hemorrhaging for 12 years. And it's also where Jairus' daughter is uh, sick and Jesus raises her from the dead. Uh, let, me, let me just say real quickly, we've seen this before, uh, what I'm about to say, we've seen this before in other episodes of Mark's gospel, and we see it in other gospels as well, but sort of what they call the Markin sandwich, where there are two stories that are stuck together, they're, they're combined, in order to illustrate one major faith principle, or one major principle about Jesus, his teachings, his person, something to that effect. And when I say a sandwich, I mean that, I mean that the story starts off with one thing, it's interrupted by something else, and then it ends going back to the thing it started with. In this case, this particular Mark and Sandwich, no cheese, please. This particular Mark and Sandwich starts off with the situation that Jairus is experiencing with his daughter. It's interrupted, I say in quotes, interrupted by the woman with the issue of blood, and then it goes back to the situation with Jairus. So that, that's, that's sort of a literary technique that the gospel writers use and they combine these two stories in order to bring to the surface a major principle, a major component, a major aspect of Jesus's life that they want to highlight through this particular section. Here we're going to be talking about faith, and faith in particular when you're going through a period of suffering. Now, as you go through the book of Mark, and I've been, I've been noticing this, it's been a really good experience for me preaching through the book of Mark. 
As you go through the Book of Mark, you begin to see this, this uh, I, I would call it a tapestry, I guess. The tapestry is being woven. Mark is weaving this tapestry that really highlights and, and it reveals the authority of Jesus. Now, here's what I mean. In Mark chapter 4, you have the episode of where Jesus calmed the storm. Peace be still, right? His di- disciples thought they were going to die. Out in the middle of the storm, Jesus gets up, boom. That demonstrates Jesus' authority over the elements of nature. Mark chapter 5, Jesus uh, liberates a man. With This is one of the episodes that we did earlier. Jesus liberated a man who was demon-possessed, possessed by many demons over at the, the, reason of the, of the, Gadar- the region of the Gadarenes. This, of course, demonstrates Jesus' authority over evil spirits. And then in this pericope, in this episode that we're going to see here, of Jesus' ministry, Jesus, he heals the woman who has been bleeding for 12 years, and he raises, his, he raises Jairus' daughter from the dead, which illustrates Jesus' authority over sickness and death. So notice what Mark is doing in this section of episodes of events of Jesus' ministry. He's illustrating Jesus' authority over basically everything. And with these different events that we're seeing, we see the authority of Jesus over different elements of life. Of course, that's meant to build up our, build up our faith in Jesus, that Jesus can overcome anything in any area, any realm of our life. Jesus has authority and power over any realm in our life. And so in this episode, Mark chapter 5, beginning in verse 21, this is where we'd see Jesus' authority over sickness and death. Now, it starts off in verse 21 telling us that Jesus again crossed over the, by the boat, by boat to the other side of the lake. Uh, this is right after, this is right on the heels of him liberating that man who had been demon-possessed by thousands, perhaps, of demons, a man who, who said, Legion, our name is Legion. So Jesus crosses back over to Capernaum, that's sort of his home base of operations, and as soon as he's, he gets there, he's surrounded by a lot of people in the boat. Now, Jesus is... Jesus is beginning to grow in fame. People are beginning to recognize him. People are beginning to follow him. When he shows up somewhere, crowds begin to form. And in this particular case, verse 22 says, Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. I find that interesting because in the previous passage, the man who had been demon-possessed, when Jesus got off the boat, the man who was demon-possessed also went and he knelt before Jesus. And the woman with the issue of blood, we're going to find out in a little bit, she came more than likely crawling to where Jesus was, right? So it's just, it's just I think, a little subtle literary device that Mark is using to demonstrate, again, the authority of Jesus and how just everyone knows uh, how to approach Jesus on your knees, humbly, I suppose. So anyway... Uh, Jairus, this leader of the synagogue, comes, and in verse 23, he says, My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her, that she'll be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. Now, again, this takes place right after Jesus healed uh, that, uh, or liberated that demon-possessed man. And uh, the synagogue, it says here that in verse 22, that Jairus was one of the synagogue leaders. Now, look, we don't know exactly when the synagogues started, because when you end the Old Testament, there are no synagogues. You open up the New Testament, and there are synagogues everywhere. So what we know for certain is that the synagogues started as a sort of like a religious thing, a place for people to gather 
for the Israelite, the Jewish community to gather to have religious experiences and teachings and et cetera. I, I'm not an expert on synagogues. I don't know exactly what took place there. But they started during the intertestamental period, the period between the Old and the New Testament. Uh, and I've read, I mean, again, I am no expert on that. I'm no expert on the intertestamental period by any means and even less on synagogues. I've just done some very basic reading on it. But somewhere in that period, synagogues became a thing. There was no temple. And so the synagogues were used as centers for religious teachings, primarily, my understanding is. And so Jairus, and this is why you see several synagogues in the different cities that Jesus visited, Capernaum, Nazareth, they had synagogues. There was one temple, only one temple, right, in Jerusalem, but there were several synagogues, and this is where uh, teachings and, and religious gatherings would take place for the Jewish community at the time of Jesus. Jairus apparently is one of the leaders of the synagogue in Capernaum. What does it mean to be a leader of the synagogue? Well, we don't know for sure, but he had some sort of clout. He has some sort of authority in Capernaum and specifically in the synagogue that was at Capernaum. So we're talking about a guy who is probably pretty important there in the city of Capernaum, and his daughter is dying, and he goes to Jesus begging, essentially begging him to heal her. And so what does Jesus do? Verse 24, okay, so he goes with him. Jairus said, please come, do something, and Jesus goes with him. Interesting that there's no dialogue. Jesus doesn't say anything. He just goes. At least that's how Mark records it. And as they're going, again, you're familiar with this part of the story, that there was a woman who had been subject to bleeding, is what verse 25 says, for 12 years. And then verse 26 is a very sad verse, in my opinion. It says, she had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had, yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. That's sad. When you put your trust and you spend all you have, and you, you put your trust in somebody who is supposed to be able to help you, and they just can't. I'm not blaming the doctors. I mean, they just couldn't do anything about it. And she got worse as the years progressed. But her attitude is found in verse 27 when she says, when it, when it says, when she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Now, what I want to do here. I, I want to do something that's a little different from what's typically done as we as we read through this uh, through this narrative through this particular episode in Jesus's ministry. And what I want to do is just briefly do a comparison and a contrast between these two individuals, meaning Jairus and the woman. Uh, one of the things, just as a side note, that I find interesting about this this episode here is that Jairus is referred to four times in this in this narrative in this passage. In all four times, he's referred to as the leader of the synagogue, but only twice, only two times out of four is his name Jairus used. I, I, I mean, I don't know if that means anything. I just find it interesting. He's mentioned four times, two out of the four times his name is used, but all four times his title, the leader of the synagogue, is used. I think that's intentional on Mark's part. I think Mark is definitely wanting to highlight the position, who Jairus was. He was a leader of the synagogue. And I think I think that, that becomes significant, especially as I begin doing this comparison and contrast. So let's do a quick comparison and contrast between Jairus and the woman. Let's look at Jairus first. First of all, Jairus was a man. Now, not, that means something, especially at that time. Men, by, there's no question, men had privilege at that time. It was a patriarchal society. 
men had privilege. Men had priority over women. That's just the way it was. Right, wrong, indifferent, however you feel about that, that's how it was. He was a man. I think he was respected by the community. Obviously, he had to have been respected by the community. Why do I say that? Well, he's a leader of the synagogue. And you don't, you don't become a leader of the synagogue if you're not respected in the community. And you don't remain a leader of the synagogue if you're not respected in the community. So I, would, I, would, I think it's a fair assumption to say that Jairus was respected in the community. He was respected. More than likely, he was financially well off. I'd have to say he was. Again, you don't get to that level of being a leader of the synagogue if, if you haven't done some things that are right, at least according to your community. And so one of those things would have likely been doing well financially. So I think, again, it's a safe assumption to say that Jairus is probably financially well off. And for certain, because he was a leader of the synagogue, then he would have been an active participant in all the religious activities of the synagogue. Obviously, I mean, he can't be a leader of the synagogue and never show up, right? You're, you're, you're a leader because you're involved, you're there, you participate, that, that's part of your life. So certainly it's a safe assumption, or a, I think this is less of, a, of an assumption, it's more of an assertion to say that Jairus was an active participant in the religious activities of the synagogue. Now let's compare that or contrast that with the woman. First of all, we don't even know her name. Her name isn't mentioned. I'm not faulting Mark. I'm just saying it's just interesting, right? Her name isn't mentioned. Jairus is mentioned. His title is mentioned. But the woman, we only know her by her affliction. That's it. She's a woman. Oh, we said Jairus was a man. She's a woman. So she's not, she's not, uh, she doesn't have that privilege, we would say, that Jairus had at that time. Whereas Jairus was respected by the community, I would think that this woman would look down on by the community. Because of her, her condition, she probably couldn't hold a job. Who knows where she lived? And more than likely, she was looked down on by the community, whereas Jairus was respected by the community. Whereas Jairus was probably financially well off, this woman had nothing. It, we find out she had spent everything she had on doctors. She, she, was, she was broke, completely broke. Now, again, as Jairus... As we pointed out with Jairus, he was an active participant in the religious activities of the community, of the synagogue. This woman had not participated in synagogue activities for 12 years. Wait a minute, Mario, the text doesn't say that. Yeah, it doesn't, but that would have been the case. Now, why do I say that? Well, we know for certain that she had been afflicted with this condition for 12 years. Bleeding, hemorrhaging. Okay, now, where was she bleeding from, well, from her female parts, right? That, that's, that's the implication. That's where she had been bleeding from. She, it's not like she had an open cut and just kept bleeding. She was hemorrhaging from her, from her female parts. And according to religious law, Jewish religious law, you'll find this in Leviticus chapter 15. When a woman was on her regular menstrual period, her monthly period, she was unclean and anything she touched would be unclean. And not only that, but if you look at Leviticus chapter 15, verse 25, it's a, let me read that to you. When a woman has a discharge of blood for many days at a time, other than her monthly period, or has a discharge that continues beyond her period, she will be unclean as long as she has the discharge, just as in the days of her period. 
Now that verse, verse 25, describes this woman. She had a discharge for many days and it was beyond her regular period. She had a discharge for 12 days, for 12 years. So this definitely, verse 25 of Leviticus 15, without it, it describes this woman. And it says that any person, any woman suffering from this condition would be considered unclean. Now look, when the Old Testament says somebody is unclean, it doesn't mean they're a sinner. That's not what it means. It means that they were prohibited from participating in the religious activities because women could be unclean, men could be unclean. Whenever there was a discharge of semen from a man, he was unclean. And that meant that he could not, for a set amount of time, could not participate in the religious activities of the community. In the time of the Old Testament, that meant participation in sacrifices and stuff that happened at the tabernacle later on. That meant exclusion from participation in uh, stuff that happened at the temple, for example. In the time of Jesus, since they're up in Capernaum, there's a synagogue, I think it's safe to assume that being unclean meant that you could not participate in the synagogue activities. Now, to what extent women were allowed or expected to participate in synagogue activities, I don't know, but it's certain, in my mind at least, that based on Leviticus chapter 15, this woman would be prohibited and excluded from participating in anything that took place in the synagogue because of her flow of blood. She was unclean, so she could not participate. So just contrast that with Jairus. I mean, Jairus had everything going for him. This woman had everything going against her. And you could not find two more different people <laughs> than Jairus and this woman. I mean, from, from a social standpoint, from a gender standpoint, from an economical standpoint, from a religious standpoint, you could not find two more different women. Jairus would have been sort of the person to hold up as a model and as an example for everyone else, whereas this woman would have been one of those cautionary tales. Whoa, you don't want to be like her. They could not be any more different. But look, they did have something in common. Both of them were going through a desperate situation that they had no control over and they could not solve for themselves. Despite all their differences, they were both going through their own desperate situation. They had no control over that situation and they couldn't solve it. The other thing that I see that they had in common is that they, they both went to Jesus. I mean, Jairus, I, I don't know if Jairus would have gotten in trouble with his other synagogue buddies <laughs> because by this point, Jesus is beginning to grow a reputation and not be liked too much by religious leaders. And, and I'm wondering, what, what would Jairus, what, like, what would be the blowback for Jairus when his other synagogue leader buddies find out that he's going to Jesus? I, I don't know. This woman had nothing to lose. I mean, she, man, I've been going to doctors. I've got nothing. No one likes me anyway. I've got nothing. I'm going to go after this guy who's beginning to stir up some controversy. But Jairus had a lot to lose. So notice, you, you look at the profiles of these two individuals, and you see that they could not be any more different the one from the other. But again, what united them, what, what, what they had in common was the fact that each of them was going through a desperate situation that they had no control over and they could not solve. And so what do they do? They both go to Jesus. And, you know, I, I would say that nowadays, 
there are so many things that can divide us and that separate us and make us different among among people at church, I mean, among believers, but also among believers and non-believers. But I'll tell you this, the one thing that unites us all is the fact that we need Jesus. Re- regardless of what you're experiencing in your life, regardless of what you might be going through, whether you're in church, out of church, non-church, de-church, whatever, the one thing that unites everybody, regardless of socioeconomic standing, regardless of gender, regardless of anything, regardless of level of suffering or type of suffering, what unites us all is the fact that we need Jesus. And it's interesting that both Jairus and the woman, they sought Jesus. They, they, they went after Jesus because of their situation. They looked for him. They decided to try to get close to Jesus because of their situation. And what you see nowadays, and I'm sure this happens this has happened throughout all history. But what you see now is that typically a bad situation, it provokes this response in people of getting angry with God. And and instead, especially us as disciples of Jesus or, or bros who are wanting to grow as disciples of Jesus, when we go through periods of suffering, those periods of suffering should drive us to seek Jesus, not to get angry with God, much less not to leave God, not even to question God, but it should seek us to drive, it should drive us to seek Jesus in the the middle of our problem, in the middle of our suffering, whatever we might be going through, those problems should drive us humbly to seek Jesus. That's what we see, I think, in Jairus and in this woman. Well, this woman reaches out her hand, and as soon as she touches Jesus, you know, you, you know the story. I'm, I'm assuming you know the story. She stops bleeding. And she was freed. It's interesting how Mark says she was freed from her suffering. So obviously this is physical suffering, but I would think all the emotional distress that she had been going through for the past 12 years because of this, man, boom, she's healed from that. Then you, you remember the interaction between Jesus and the woman. Jesus stopped. He asked, who touched me? The disciples say, what do you mean who touched you? You see all these people around you and you're asking, who? no, he says, I, power left my body. The woman sheepishly comes forward and says, it was me. And then in verse 34, Jesus says, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Now, I know you, you know that part of the story. And during that conversation between Jesus and the woman, someone comes from Jairus's household and they inform Jairus that his daughter had died. And I remember if it's Mark or another uh, gospel that says, stop bothering the master. Don't, don't bother him anymore. Your daughter has died. Verse 36, overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, don't be afraid, just believe. And I, I mean, I, I think that's re- that, that one verse summarizes this whole passage. Don't be afraid, just believe. The woman had been afraid but she believed she got what she needed from Jesus. Now, Jairus, his daughter dies. She dies. And Jesus's response is, don't be afraid, just believe. Now, you've probably heard preachings and teachings about this. What would have been Jairus's attitude towards this woman? I, I think, I would, man, that woman. Why did Jesus stop? Like, I can see my house from here. If we hadn't stopped to talk to this woman, we would have made it to our house and my daughter would not have died. That woman. Right? But Jesus says, don't be afraid, just believe. Well, they go to the house, and while they're there, Jesus, he empties out the room. Only the parents and three of his disciples are in the room. 
with the dead daughter. And then verse 41 says, he took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. Verse 42, immediately the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. So Jesus didn't heal her from being sick. He raised her from the dead. Now, just an interesting little uh, parenthetical note here. It says that she was 12 years old. I find that interesting because, remember, for how long had the woman been suffering with this bleeding? For 12 years. Which means that the amount of time that the woman had been bleeding was the amount of time that this little girl had been alive. And just just notice, notice how your life can change in a moment, right? And, and with, with this, I, I want to point out to you that there are different kinds of disparate, desperate situations and different kinds of dif, uh, desperate suffering that people go through. Now, I, I'm, I'm making up these terms. I'm, I'm not a psychologist. I'm not a counselor or anything like that. But from this episode in the ministry of Jesus, I'm, I'm, I'm deriving these terms, okay? And I'm basing them based on the suffering of, of the woman and the suffering of Jairus. Now, look, this woman had been bleeding, suffering for 12 years, 12 years. Just, just, that, that's, that's a little kid. That, that's the life of a, of a preteen, 12 years she had been suffering. I call this type of suffering prolonged suffering. Profound, right? That's really profound, right? Prolonged suffering. And there, there are people now, you might be listening, and maybe you have been experiencing prolonged suffering, meaning it's a desperate situation, desperate suffering that you've been going through for a long time now. It could be a, a rocky marriage. It's been, it's been rocky for a long time. It could be a physical condition that you've been having to endure for a long time. It could be a bad relationship between you and a child, and you've been having to endure that for a long time. I don't know. Just anything that you've been having to endure for a long time, prolonged suffering, like the woman bleeding for 12 years, despised, cast out by the society, losing all her money for 12 years, prolonged suffering. With Jairus, I I see Jairus' suffering as, I would term it, sudden and unexpected suffering. Sudden and unexpected suffering. For 12 years, I'm going to read a little bit into this story. For 12 years, Jairus had enjoyed the presence of his daughter. For 12 years. It was joy. It was, this is our pride and joy. This is our little girl. This is our baby. But something happened, and I would think it was perhaps sudden and unexpected. The text doesn't tell us. But his daughter got sick, and then she's knocking at death's door all of a sudden. And I would have to think that's sudden, that's unexpected. And I would have to think that Jairus is just like saying, wait a minute, wait, wait, pump the brakes. Man, what's going on here? Just just last month we were we were at the at the at the lake we were having a day out at the lake and I was playing with her and and we were having fun and and boy you know I was hugging her and she was fine and she went to play with her friends and now just all of a sudden unexpectedly she's she's about to die what I mean, like what's going on wait a minute pump the brakes a little bit rewind right sudden and unexpected suffering and and I think each of us we we've all probably been through experiences of suffering that are sudden and unexpected, where everything is going well. I mean, life's not perfect, but everything is going relatively well. And then, bam, all of a sudden, boom, you're like, where did that come from? Wow, wait a minute. Where in the world did that come from? And 
And, oh, and then and then this happens on top of that, and then that happens on top of this, and you're like, wait a minute, pump the brake, stop, stop, stop. It's sudden and unexpected, right? You know, uh, in, in in our family, we went through something similar to that. Uh, my dad passed away a few years ago, and I remember when my dad called me, and uh, he left the voicemail, and you know, he had been struggling with some. He thought it was like a cold or something, and he went to the doctor. And he had something in his throat, and uh, the doctor diagnosed him with with uh, what they call anaplastic thyroid cancer. And essentially, it was it was a cancer, a tumor that was beginning to grow in his upper shoulder region, and the cancer was beginning to spread, and it was literally beginning to squeeze his 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 uh, passageway for breathing. And so that's why he was having trouble breathing and talking because the cancer was literally beginning to squeeze it. And I remember that, you know, when, when he, he called me on the phone and he told me, the doctor said, I have six months to live. Uh, what? What are, you, what are you talking about? Six months to live? Yeah, the doctor said, I have six months to live. And I'm like, what are, what are you talking about? And um, it wasn't six months. It wasn't at all close to six months. I mean, my dad just went downhill fast. They had to take him to the hospital, they had to do a tracheotomy on him. And, and I think from the time I got the phone call from him that he had six months to live to the day that he actually died, it was less than a month. It, and I, I was like, what, like, what happened? Like, can, can we just, can we just pump the brake? Can I rewind a little bit? Cause I mean, if I knew this was coming, I'd be able to handle it a little bit better, but it was just sudden and unexpected. And I see, I see Jairus going through, man, I, I know you've been through something like that too. I know that some of you who are listening have been through or perhaps currently going through prolonged suffering. It's been a long period of suffering. And maybe right now you're just going through something sudden and unexpected, or you might go through something sudden and unexpected, that type of suffering like Jairus did. I mean, well, there's something there's something that you you need to hang on to there's something that you need to hang on to regardless of the type of suffering you're encountering right now if it's prolonged suffering or if it's sudden and unexpected suffering I mean here's what you have to hang on to here's what you have to know Jesus can resolve both I mean, Jesus can resolve both I think it's interesting that Mark pairs these two situations together People who are completely different, Jairus and the woman, completely different. And I think in part, he's telling us, it doesn't matter who you are, Jesus can help you in your situation. He didn't come just for the rich, and he didn't come just for those who are downcast and, and, and out, down and out. Jesus can help anybody on the spectrum. Anybody. He can help anybody. And then I think he also illustrates to us, look, it doesn't matter the type of suffering that you're going through, whether it's long and you've been suffering for a long time or it's something that just recently came up. It doesn't matter. Jesus can handle both. We know that because Jesus healed the woman who had that prolonged suffering and Jesus ended Jairus's sudden and unexpected suffering when he raised the little girl from the dead. So look, I, I don't know if at this moment or in the past or in the future, what type of suffering you're going to encounter, prolonged or unexpected. But the point is this, Jesus can handle both of them. He, he can do, he, he can work in either one of them. 
Jesus can resolve both. Unexpected suffering? Prolonged suffering? Yeah, Jesus can handle them both. Think about that for just a second. That there isn't a type of suffering or a type of individual that Jesus cannot help. And isn't that our faith? That, that's, that's what we believe. And as disciples of Jesus, I mean, this is a good word for, for people who don't know Jesus, but I think this is a challenging word for those of us who have already made the decision to be disciples of Jesus. Because look, that's the comforting part of the story. That that regardless of where you are on the financial or on the social spectrum, you're you know you're you're well off, you're well respected, or you've got you're broken, you're not well respected, whatever, or any combination of that, you're you're rich but you're not respected, whatever it is, Jesus can help you out, and no matter what type of suffering, Jesus can help you out. Okay, that's that's the nice part of the story. That's the encouraging part of the story. Now let me tell you about the the challenging part of the story. This is this is where we stand up and we act like disciples in this challenging part of the story. I want you to notice something. And and you need to, you need to really just meditate on this what I'm about to say and just let it sink into your heart. Jesus works according to God's will and God's timing. I I think you see that throughout the gospels. I think you see that throughout the entire Bible. That God doesn't work according to what I think is right, meaning he doesn't work according to my will, and he doesn't work according to my timetable. And what we see in Jesus's ministry, and even in this case, is that Jesus works according to God's will and God's timing. Now, as disciples of Jesus, we just have to accept that. To quote uh, some major philosopher, I don't know who it is, suck it up, buttercup. That That's what it comes down to. Because look, it's beautiful to know that Jesus can resolve the situation, but I want you to notice the woman suffered for 12 years before anything happened, before God did anything. 12 years. That's God's timing. That for whatever reason, in his infinite and mysterious wisdom, she suffered for 12 years. Call it unfair Call it whatever you'd like to call it, but in God's wisdom, in God's plan, in God's purposes, in his timing, that was what was supposed to happen. (laughs) How else do you explain that? And I've long given up trying to figure out God's rationale for things. It's just, it's, 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 it's not a healthy exercise. You can ask him, you can pray for insight and revelation, but if he doesn't give it to you, then suck it up, buttercup. 12 years. And then and then notice with Jairus. Whereas this woman, I mean, God apparently missed it by 12 years because he didn't do anything for 12 years. In the, in the case of Jairus and his daughter, Jesus missed it by just a few minutes. But that was God's timing. And and you would think that God's will for Jairus and his family would have been that Jesus would heal the little girl, but no. Apparently it was to demonstrate something greater about Jesus's power and instead he raises her from the dead. And and it didn't work out according to Jairus's timing. It's like, man, you, you missed it. Like come on, you you missed it by just a few minutes and and maybe Jesus is thinking, "No, I'm I'm right on time. Don't worry about it. I'm right on time. Time is going exactly as it needs to go. I'm not early, I'm not late. I am right on time." 
And, and here, this is the tough part. This is really where we demonstrate our faith. This is really where we demonstrate that we want to be disciples of Jesus. Because, again, it's beautiful to think, oh, God, you know, Jesus is going to do something in my situation. He can do it. He will do it. Hallelujah. Yes, I believe it. I believe it. I believe it. Yeah. Okay. Now, you know what? It may not work out the way you want it to work out. It's God's will, not yours. Can you accept that? It's tough. And it's not going to work out in your timing. You know, there have been times that that I've needed God to do something in a particular time frame. And and would you would you believe it that he doesn't? And I get upset. I said, God, you missed it. You missed the boat, bro. What, what happened? What happened? You, you, you had this amount of time to do. You had one job and you didn't do it. And, you know, there have been times in my life, I'm not, not proud to admit this, but I'm, I'm sure you're right there with me, that I got upset because God didn't consult with me. He didn't ask me. And I would, God, if you had just asked me, I would have told you exactly what I needed. I've been praying about it anyway. But if you had consulted me, I would have told you that the way you did it, it was wrong. I mean, you, you missed it. Your timing was wrong and the way you did it was wrong. And unfortunately, that's the way we want God to work, according to what I want and according to my timing. And it doesn't work that way. Look, God is not subject to your will and to your whims. And he's not subject to your timing. He's just not. If God does anything in response to your prayers because of the situation you're going through, it's because he's a God of grace and a God of mercy. He's not obligated to do it at all. And as a disciple of Jesus, here is where you, here's where I demonstrate our faith. Not just that we believe that Jesus can, but that we just accept when he'll do it and how he'll do it. We submit to his will and to his timing. And when we demonstrate faith in the face of suffering, it's not just believing that he can, it's believing that when he does it and how he does it, it's right. Even if it doesn't line up with how we would want him to do things or with when we would want him to do things, it's right. And as a disciple of Jesus, we we suck it up buttercup, you know, and we say, you know, that's not how I would have liked it. That's not when I would have liked it. I, I think Jesus missed the deadline, but my faith is this. It's right. And I may not understand it, I may not like it, I may not even want to accept it, but I decided to be a disciple of Jesus. That means that I trust him. I trust his will, I trust his timing. I, I have no doubt that he can, I have no doubt that he will, but now I'm, I'm going beyond that and I'm making a decision to trust how he'll do it and when he'll do it. So bro, look, whatever situation you may be going through. It may be one of prolonged suffering. It may be one of this sudden and unexpected suffering. Believe that Jesus can do something in your situation. But also recognize that he'll do it according to God's will and according to God's timing. And I think that when we, when we accept that, when we learn that we accept that, we're well on our way to being growing disciples of Jesus, and that our, our true and our, our real motive for following him isn't just what we can get out of him. It's true submission to his will, to his timing. And then through that, we advance the kingdom of God. We fulfill our role in advancing the mission that Jesus started. That, I think, 
is what helps us live, love, and lead in a way that honors God. Hey, take some time to look at this passage on your own. It's one of those familiar passages. We've read about it. We've heard teachings and preachings and our podcasts about it probably as long as you've been a Christian. Sometimes we can miss some things. And so I'd encourage you that after listening to this episode, that you would take some time to read through this event. This is Mark chapter 5, beginning in verse 21, and just read through it and allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you through this passage, to challenge you, to comfort you, and just figure out what you can learn, what more you can learn from this passage so that it can help you grow as a disciple of Jesus and so that you can continue to advance the mission that Jesus started as a disciple of Jesus. All right, bro. That's all I've got for you today. I hope this has encouraged you. I certainly hope this has challenged you. And uh, be on the lookout for more episodes coming up. Definitely subscribe to the podcast, subscribe to the YouTube channel. Not a whole lot of activity over on the YouTube channel just yet, but uh, there will be soon, I hope. (laughs) I just got a lot going on, obviously, just like you do. But definitely subscribe to the podcast. New episodes the first and third Saturday of every month. So be on the lookout for that. Subscribe wherever you get your podcast, wherever you're listening to this right now. Subscribe, like, share with other bros so they can continue to grow as disciples also. Okay, bro, that's all I've got for you. Have a great weekend. Have a great week. And until next time, God bless, bro.